Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. We want to welcome you back to the program again this week, and this is the fourth program we've filmed with Dr. Jonathan Weldon, and he is on the set with me again today, and we have been for the last several weeks talking about the different kinds of covenant, that uh, the different kinds of covenants, from a grant covenant to a vassal covenant to a kinship covenant, what they are, how they work. Our God is a covenant-keeping God, and how He relates to us is based on the covenant that He makes with us. And so I think this has been a very important, uh, you know, segment that we have done uh, with Dr. Welton. And he is the uh, president and founder of the Welton Academy. You can find his information will be on the screen where you can find more information about his academy and his online school. Uh, he is the author of probably, I think, around 12 books. The one we're talking about in this segment is, if you missed this, it's all in his book called Understanding the Whole Bible. And for any scholar, any student of the Word, any pastor, I would say you need to get this book because it would be a great blessing to you. It has added to me. One thing I do not mind doing is learning from people that are younger than me. I can remember when I was a young preacher and people would marginalize me uh, because I was younger. And this gray hair has given me a little clout. But I, anybody that's any kind of a Bible student knows that uh, if you quit learning, you have probably become stale. And so I learn, and I have learned from this man of God. It's a great honor to have you on, sir. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Thank you. And uh, let me just say before uh, I, I bring it to where he can take over here, and I want him to talk as much as he wants to, if you've missed any of the programs, the other three programs that we have aired is archived on YouTube. Uh, there is a direct link from my website, and of course it's on the screen and right there on that TV screen. Uh, you can go there and go directly to that and listen to them at your leisure on YouTube, or there's a direct link from to our podcast from our website where you can download the audio versions of this for free and you can listen to it uh, uh, in your automobile or whatever. So you can go back and review the things that we've said and share them on your Facebook page. Help us get the gospel out. You know, one of the things that's powerful to me is how social media can take things and just share it with your friends if you're enjoying that and tell people about us and we appreciate it. But in the last segment, we were talking about these you know, under the, in the scriptures, there's five major uh, covenants. Uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then Jesus. We were talking about the three different kinds of covenant, from a grant covenant to a kinship covenant to a vassal covenant. And man, if you heard the last program we did, you, you want a grant covenant. Just when somebody greater blesses the lesser, it's when, uh, you know, God just says, I'm just a good God and I want to do this and uh, I'm going to swear by myself because there's no greater uh, than that's the kind of covenant you want. But I'm going to let you jump back in there. It's a great honor again to have you on with me and uh, just begin to jump in there and share what you've been sharing with us about the covenants. Thank you. Thank you. This has been <clears throat> so fun so far. And uh, honestly, if anybody has, has missed any previous, it's so important to back up and watch yeah. those first. Um, but where we're going to go today is just some really fun, exciting stuff because we haven't really delved into the new covenant yet. Mm -hmm. Now, to say that there's a new covenant is to say that there's an old covenant. Mm -hmm. um, and for most people, we think New Testament, Old Testament, as if the New Testament comes to replace the Old Testament. That's not the point at all. Mm -hmm. The new covenant 
is a phrase that's used that we see originally from Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about, I will come and I will make a new covenant with you. I'll take out the heart of stone. I'll put in a heart of flesh. Uh, we see it also in Ezekiel's prophecies. Both of them talk about a new covenant that's coming. So by the time the New Testament begins, there's been an anticipation for hundreds of years of a new covenant. Now, the new covenant is not coming to replace Noah's covenant or Abraham's covenant or David's covenant. The new covenant is actually coming to make the Mosaic covenant the old covenant. Now, we learn this from the writings of the New Testament. The writings of the New Testament, Paul, uh, he is the one who actually starts to contrast these. So in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 3, he specifically talks about the, the law written on stone tablets versus the, the new law, which is written on the human hearts by the Spirit. And he starts to contrast these. He says the old one under Moses was transitory. It was only for a time. And it came with a glory which was fading, but that the new is eternal and it does not fade. And he talks about these as the Mosaic versus the new covenant. And he contrasts those. He does the same thing over in Galatians 4 and he contrasts them very harshly. He says, I'm talking about two covenants. I'm speaking figuratively. He makes that plain. Mm -hmm. And he says, Sarah versus Hagar, Isaac versus Ishmael, the new Jerusalem versus first century Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And he contrasts them very harshly. And he says, these two will never share in the inheritance together. And what should we do with the old covenant? He says, kick it out, mm -hmm. get rid of it, get rid of that slave. Mm -hmm. So he's very harsh towards the old covenant. And then the writer of Hebrews, uh, whoever that may be, but the writer of Hebrews also brings up the new covenant and the old covenant and says that the, uh, the old covenant was made obsolete and outdated by the new covenant being established. This is in Hebrews chapter eight. Mm -hmm. So the old covenant is not the old testament the old covenant is always and only the mosaic covenant even though noah's covenant is older and abraham's covenant is older those are not the old covenant the old covenant is only the mosaic covenant so the new covenant is only contrasted with the mosaic covenant it's not contrasted with abraham or david mm -hmm. or noah now that's important because yeah. most people, we have memorized Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that one, but most people have not memorized Matthew 1-1. So Matthew 1-1, it opens with this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mm -hmm. If you remember from our previous uh, time together, we were talking about how God had promised David a son. You will have a son who will sit on an eternal throne. So they're waiting for the son of David to come someday that will sit on an eternal throne. He promised to Abraham, he promised him a seed. Now we know that he did have Isaac, but in Galatians 3, Paul talks about it and he says, God promised Abraham a seed, and that seed is Christ. And through Christ, he's blessed all the nations of the earth. Mm 
So the concept here is that they were waiting for the seed of Abraham, the, the uh, chosen child eventually, and they were waiting for the seed of David. So Matthew 1.1, the New Testament kicks open the door with Jesus is the son of David and Abraham mm -hmm. that we've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. And so everything that, I like to picture it this way, it's kind of like three trains leaving the station. In the Old Testament, they, they started at different times, but let's just put them side by side. Abraham has a train, David has a train, Moses has a train. And this is not a math problem. It sounds like <laughs> it, but we're not going there. Uh -huh. These three trains leave the station. Mm -hmm. When they get to Matthew 1.1, the son of David, the son of Abraham, everything that's on those two trains, the covenant with Abraham and David, gets offloaded onto the train track of the new covenant, which is going to be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that train keeps going. But then there's the Mosaic train. Now, what promises do we have inside the Mosaic Covenant? If you don't obey, I will curse you, I will kill you, I will remove you, I'll annihilate you. You're, no promises. There's really actually no promises in the Mosaic Covenant uh, that needed to be fulfilled. It's interesting. You get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and he is saying, we're going to have this covenant, and we're going to walk this way, blessings and cursings. But then he prophesies and he says, but you will wander away. You will walk after other gods. You will go into idol worship. And then I will let you go into exile. Then I will draw you back. And when I draw you back, I'll circumcise your heart. Now, he basically announces in Deuteronomy 30 to 32 the rest of the Old Testament history in a prophecy. And he says, when you wander away, I want you to sing this song to remind yourself that you walked away from me and you're calling the judgment of God on your own head when you sing the song of Moses. This is a, a Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses. So, so here's this big picture. He gives them the whole Old Testament. He says, you're going to wander away. They do. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they're all prophesying about how Israel's wandered away. You're going to go into exile. They do. The Babylonian exile, the Assyrian exile, they go into exile. Uh, then I will restore you. That's as, as Ezra and Nehemiah. He brings them back to the land. And then I'll circumcise your hearts. Well, when does that happen? That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. He comes and he circumcises their hearts. And we see Paul talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, when you actually get into Acts, we have Stephen, who gets stoned to death as the first martyr. It's actually when he gets to the end of his story. He actually stands up in front of the Sanhedrin. He lays out the whole Old Testament story. It's an incredible chapter. Mm -hmm. And at the end of, of Acts 7, He's, he points at the, the Jewish rulers and he says, you hard-hearted believers, you stiff-necked, you would not let your hearts be circumcised. Mm -hmm. He's referring back to Deuteronomy. Oh, that's, that's good. I never saw saying, that. Before. You guys, mm -hmm. you're the ones. Mm -hmm. You're hard-hearted. You didn't let the new covenant circumcise your heart. And then they get angry. And then he says, I see the heavens open. I see the, the son standing at the right hand of the father. And they take him out and they stone him to death. But it's him declaring over them, you didn't receive 
the new covenant we were promised in Deuteronomy 32. And so, uh, and even when you go through the New Testament, you start to find the Song of Moses. Now, many of us have missed this, but even in uh, Revelation 15, mm -hmm. it talks about the last bowl of wrath being poured out and that they were singing the Song of Moses. Mm -hmm. Well, the Song of Moses was supposed to be sung when God was pouring out old covenant wrath and judgments on them, and they would sing the song to remind themselves we did this and caused this to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So they're singing that in the book of Revelation about what happened in 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. So the wrath of, of God and the song of Moses are tied together. Um, this, is, this is so much information, but we wanted to talk about the new covenant mm -hmm. this week. So when you get to the new covenant, a lot of us are confused because we think uh, Lynn Hiles has a covenant with God. Jonathan Welton has a covenant with God. Technically, that's not as accurate as we think it is because the actual covenant was formed between God the Son and God the Father. What actually takes place, and you never see the apostles talking about their covenant with God. What you actually see is that God made a covenant inside the Godhead, that the Trinity literally that, that instead of putting the church on the human side and God on the God side to make a covenant again, they already did that with Israel for 1,500 years, and it was terrible. So rather than doing that to us, they, I like to picture it this way, and this is, this is kind of a Hebrew concept of the Godhead. You have this concept of, uh, from the first century of like God is sitting around the kitchen table in heaven and they're they're sitting there talking and uh, God the Father is is saying you know what uh, if we just put another uh, another human on the other side of this deal we're gonna have a problem it didn't work with Moses it won't work with anybody else what we need to do is one of us needs to go down there so Jesus does the incarnation he comes down God the Word puts on human flesh stands on this side of the covenant as our high priest. Where do we see this? We see this in Hebrews uh, chapter 5 where it talks about Jesus is our high priest. He stood in the position that Moses did and represented all of humanity. So Jesus is on one side of the covenant. God the Father is on the other side of the covenant. And normally you have an animal sacrifice in between. So Jesus is our high priest and he becomes the lamb sacrifice. Mm -hmm. The whole deal is going to happen inside the Trinity. So now Jesus is the lamb and he's the high priest. So the high priest takes the blood of the lamb. So Jesus takes his own blood and goes through the heavens into the heavenly tabernacle, sprinkles it on an Ark of the Covenant. Now, why didn't Jesus sprinkle it on the Ark of the Old Covenant? Well, if he had taken his perfect blood as the perfect lamb and sprinkled it on the lid of the mercy seat of the old covenant of Moses, then we would have been trapped in that covenant forever. So instead, he passes through the heavens. And we see in Revelation 11 that there is an Ark of the Covenant sitting in the temple of God, and that Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the New Covenant. Mm -hmm. He even puts the ark in heaven where we can't get at it. Mm -hmm. This is good news because I don't have a covenant between me and God where I'm trying to keep up my end of the deal, like I'm Moses or like I'm Old Testament Israel. Instead, 
Jesus has a covenant with God the Father, and what does he do? He marries me. I get, I get all the benefit of his covenant by marriage to the, 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 the groom. The bride receives the benefit by marriage. So as a believer, I don't have a direct covenant. I and Jesus, the two have become one. Mm -hmm. And his covenant with the Father, I receive all the benefit of that. So now I'm in him, he's in me, and the two of us, I receive the blessing. The good news about this is I can't mess up his covenant with the Father. Mm -hmm. I can't fail, I can't be a covenant breaker, because I'm not in the deal. I only receive the benefit. So this is really an amazing piece of the new covenant for us as far as security, as far as safety, as far as all the legalistic performance mentality that we get buried in, thinking that, oh, I don't want to be a covenant breaker and all of that fear. You can't mess up his covenant. Mm -hmm. Now your only choice is, are you going to live in Adam? Or are you going to live in Christ? Mm -hmm. And if you're going to live in Christ, you get all the benefit of his covenant with the Father. And the Ark of the New Covenant is in heaven where we can't get at it or mess with it or change it. So these are really good terms. Part of this whole thing uh, that, that many of us have missed is that, as we talked about last week, Israel's worst moment is at Mount Sinai. They're offered a grant covenant. You all get to be a nation of priests and have direct relationship with me. This is really good news. And they get afraid. They're slaves coming out of Egypt. They're freaking out. They push back and they get a different type of covenant. In getting that other type of covenant, their relationship has changed. And now God actually looks, mm, he looks very different through the rest of the Old Testament. So what happens is when Jesus comes, it says in uh, John chapter 1, that he was the closest to the Father and that he came to make him known or to reveal him. So God the Father needed to be reintroduced because he had been confused uh, in the minds of the people. People had seen him as angry and wrathful and terrifying. And most of the Old Testament, people, people see the Old Testament mm -hmm. as a very scary, angry God. Yep. And this is the distortion that came from the Old Covenant. This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, even to this day, speaking in the first century, when Moses is read, that God is veiled, that there's a veil over God. If we were to think of it like God the Father comes to Israel at Mount Sinai, offers his heart, I want to have direct relationship with you. And they say, you know what, we don't really want that. We want a rule book. And what we're going to do, too, is we're going to put this sheet over your head. We're just going to kind of cover you up. Now God is actually veiled. So instead of seeing his heart, instead of having a relationship, they only see the veil. Mm -hmm. And that's what most of the rest of the Old Testament is the veiled God. So Jesus shows up, and in John 1, he says, I was the closest to the Father. I came to actually remove the veil, to pull the sheet away. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says that Jesus, in Christ, the veil is removed. That Jesus actually comes to unveil the Father because the Father had this distorted picture about him for 1,500 years. Mm -hmm. And many of us, we still, we have relationship with the distorted picture of the Father. 
it's amazing. That's so good. It's amazing where we are right yeah. now in history that we're getting this opened up again. You hear songs that are going around the world like Good, Good Father, mm -hmm. and people are singing about it, and yet we still theologically keep him at an arm's length because we don't know if he really is a good, good father or is he a good, good father every day or just on Sundays? Or what or about until Tuesday? I mess up or something. That's yeah. right. And then I break covenant and he's going to squash me. And because we don't read these things inside a covenant, it's a problem. Remember, uh, we shared in an earlier episode together, we were talking about uh, righteousness. Mm -hmm. And that righteousness is being faithful to the covenant you are in. So under the Mosaic Covenant, if God is their punisher and their partner because of the deal that they put him in, then he has to punish them mm -hmm. to be righteous because he has to be faithful. Yep. He honors his word above his name. Absolutely. So he submits himself to the covenant he's in. So in the New Covenant, the New Covenant is this is the blood shed for the forgiveness of many. That's what he's, uh, Jesus says at the Last Supper. So the actual point of the new covenant is a covenant of forgiveness. So for God to be righteous in the new covenant, he's required to forgive. So is he sitting there uh, keeping a record of wrongs? Well, first of all, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, and God is love. Mm -hmm. So is he keeping a record of wrongs to, to whale us? Uh, is, he, is he building up wrath and judgment and all of that? No, the new covenant standard is actually forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Your now, sins and iniquities, I'll remember no more. That's right, that's right. He will not remember them anymore. That, that's kind of hard for him to keep a record. Well, so we have this new covenant. And in the new covenant, for him to be righteous, he has to be faithful to it. And to be faithful is to be forgiving. So really... Ultimately, what is the gospel message? The gospel message is the story of the prodigal son. He's the father who's already forgiven before people come home. Before the son is returned, the father is already looking, hoping, longing, loving, forgiven, and is just waiting for people to come home. Many of us, we think that I have to repent good enough, I have to keep repenting, I have to keep asking for forgiveness, but he already established a covenant of forgiveness 2,000 years ago. You're pre-forgiven. I know you, you, have, you have children and grandchildren. I just have young children right now, but I know my children are forgiven no matter what they ever do. They could still do things that might grieve my heart. We can grieve the Spirit of the Lord, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get wrathful and build up anger and judgment. Instead, they're already forgiven. They're already unconditionally loved. Now let's walk together. And that's the relationship we have because of this new covenant. And we can't mess it up, which is, in my mind, the best news. <laughs> well, I've said a lot. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, then? I was thinking while you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, I've, I've been sharing some about Hebrews 11 recently, you know, we're great hall of faith. And it starts out when it gets to the Moses part. It said, by faith, Moses kept the Passover. By faith, he you know, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, mm. they crossed the Red Sea. I don't know if you've seen this before or mm. not. You may have, and this may be old news to you, but I'm sure people watching may not. The moment they crossed the Red Sea, the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, mentions nothing from there until they come. The very next thing it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. 
So 40 years of history is omitted where there's nothing that happens by faith. Wow. And when I looked at that, I said, why is it there's nothing makes it into the hall of faith that happened in the wilderness journey from the time they crossed the Red Sea? The point is, when they crossed the Red Sea, they came to the foot of Mount Sinai, and that's where God gave the law. And as soon as the law came, yeah. the writer of Galatians says, the law is not of faith, and the law shuts up faith. And so nothing makes it into the, the hall of faith. That's 40 years of the children of Israel trying to do it by human effort and struggle. Wow. And the next thing he says to them, that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Now they've crossed now over, in, just 40 years later. Yeah. And they're getting ready to go into the, the into Jericho. And Joshua says, God, what is the strategy? Mm. God says, you got to get three to six million people going in the same direction at the same time with their mouth shut. Now, there's a re- that's probably the biggest miracle of the Old Testament. But here's the reason. <laughs> God gave, the scripture says that, I believe it's Romans 3 or Timothy, but it's, I think it's Romans 3. He said that the purpose that God gave the law is so that every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty. Mm. to bring you to a realization that I need a Savior. And so what had happened by the time they got to Jericho, 40 years after the people said, when the law was given, we will do it, and if we do it, it will be our righteousness. Wrong answer. 40 years later, they come to the Jericho, and they said, we can't do it. God said, now I can help you. So by the time they got to the walls of Jericho, every mouth had been stopped. All the world had become guilty. And he said, now, when you hear a ram's horn, Mm. And anybody that knows anything about the sacrifice knows that the ram's horn comes from the death of a male lamb. He said, the moment you hear a message coming through the death of a male lamb, you will start to shout. And when you do, the walls of Jericho will fall down. Mm -hmm. And that walls, and and so Hebrews 11 picks up by by faith. Because now it's not based on works. It's based on, do you believe, faith. The walls of Jericho fell. And then the next thing happens, which I think is really incredible, it says, by faith, Rahab the harlot. And I always thought, now why throw Rahab in here, who's one of the four women, by the way, who makes it in the lineage of Christ in, uh, in Matthew. Right. I said, why throw her in the mix? And I think the reason God did that is to show you that no matter what your history is, no matter what your background is, she hung a scarlet-colored cord in her window, and every bit of light that filtered into her house came through that scarlet cord of redemption. And so she embraced a redemption that was coming through a seed that would even come through her. Wow. And faith kicked back in. I think that God was trying to show us that if I put somebody holy in there, you're not going to believe you could qualify for it. So let's just put Rahab in there because, you know, <laughs> however we may view her, uh, her. But anyway, faith kicks back in. Wow. And the new covenant, or, or not the new covenant, but it, uh, the, the great hall of faith begins to say, by faith. Mm. So you have that whole 40-year gap from the time God gave Moses the law of Sinai. Yeah. Nothing's mentioned about faith because the law is not of faith, and, and the law shuts up faith. The more law we preach, the less people become believers. We're just about out of time. I trust you've enjoyed this segment and these programs that we've uh, filmed with Dr. Welton. Go to his website, order his books. You're going to love, there's way more in this book that we've covered, but you'll be blessed by his material. He has a book called uh, Raptureless that I think is a good book. You, wanna, you may want to get that. But if you, uh, several of his books, but go to his website. We're just about out of time. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing, uh, call that number on the screen and so see it into the ministry or go to our website. There's a link there where you can give via credit card and you can also write and send a check via the address that will be on the screen in just a few moments. And you can write to that screen and uh, write to that address and we will receive it. Thank you for joining us. God bless you till next week at this same time. The word repentance means to change your mind. 
The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.